Hello, and welcome to Once More with Commentary, a Buffy and Angel podcast. I'm Ginny. And I'm Allie. And today we're talking about older and far away and couplet. I always want to say older and farther away. Yeah, I mean, well, we I were don't talking know, about, yeah. like, this, this name is, this is meaningless, title? so who cares? <laughs> it's uh, uh, grammatically awkward and a little bit doesn't make any sense, so. Yeah. If anyone out there has any ideas to why yeah. this episode is called <laughs> Older and Far explain. Away, let us know. We've, we've puzzled out the older, but the far away, not so much. And then putting I, them together is just. Yeah, right. like, it sort of makes sense, but, like, normally the titles are, like, a reference to something or they're just, like. Very specific. This one just doesn't feel right for some reason. It feels like they were ready to go to air, and they were like, we can't call this episode 14. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) How are you, Jenny? Not bad. It's a lovely day here, which is exciting, and I have easy... I mean, I have a lot of stuff to do because I have a lot of chores on the weekend, but otherwise, I don't have that much to do this weekend, which I'm excited about. I like that you always describe them as chores, as if you're assigning yourself a chore wheel. (laughs) Well, what do you what do you call cleaning the bathroom? I call well, and it's painting. true that they're called chores. I call that getting a handy to come do it. <laughs> yeah, I see. <laughs> well, I have a lot of errands. I, I think an errand you have to leave the house, so it's yeah, not errands. It's I true. have chores. Yeah. No, I know what you mean. I, I we've talked about this. Well, not on air, but like I got to a point in my adult life where I just reckoned with the things that I just absolutely hate doing and decided, you know, I, I yeah. care more about that than my money. So yeah, <laughs> just my lazy one that I've given in on is ordering groceries though, but I still feel guilty about that. And that, to be honest, it's not that I don't enjoy grocery shopping. It's just that it's a hassle where I live. There's no, I, you know, having to buy a week's worth of groceries for two people and have and, and ending up on a train that has a lot of stairs is like all, my only option. It's either that or go to places that I don't ha- don't think their food is quite good enough. So yeah, I mean, that's fair. That's I, a, yeah. I also have that type of situation, except that I love grocery shopping. So okay. it's I like, I don't like, think of it as a I don't chore. mind grocery shopping. Yeah. I don't, but it's you know, I don't even mind the traveling. It's literally when I'm like, Oh, I can't buy, uh, this, God, I can't think of an example, but it's like, I can't buy two jars of pasta and pickles because then my groceries would be too heavy to take up and down the ridiculous staircase I have to climb. If it was just the time to get there, I probably would still suck it up, but it's the like, I can't like be mitigating what I'm buying every week because I can't carry, you know, these heavy things. No, absolutely. I know. Yeah, I um, I always do that mental math of like, okay, if I go to the Whole Foods, then it's a shorter walk and it's downhill on the way home. So I can right, buy slightly so heavier easier. things. But if I want to save money and go to like Safeway, then mm-hmm. I really can't buy anything heavy because it's uphill the entire way home. Yeah. And it's like a 20 minute walk. And so yeah. then I like save it all up until I get like one massive order of things right. where I need to buy really heavy stuff. And then I succumb to the lure of buy it online and online, yeah. the groceries never show up so you know yeah, there's just exactly. no good <laughs> it's solution. like no perfect solution <laughs> this is that's the that's one of the only things that really is like man living in the suburbs sure it's nice when you can just drive to the grocery yeah. store and bring anything you want home every time i visit my sister and we go to like the grocery store which by the way is only a 20 minute walk from her house and oh it's my a God. flat walk so like yeah. she told me one time that it was that oh you shouldn't walk there it's too far and then my mom and I walked back with groceries and we're looking at each other like what is she talking about yeah but then you know I go with her in the car and it's so much easier yeah yeah like yeah, yeah. you could do it but why 
Yeah, be like, you know. oh, we're out of beer. Let's get some beer. And I'm like, I never buy alcohol because I have to carry it. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, then my, and then people be like, oh, you can get one of those carts. I'm like, well, I would get one of those carts. I'm like, not above being an old lady who pushes her groceries down the street, except that I still have to take a train. And yeah. the train still has stairs. I'm like, so that would actually just make it more difficult for me to have to somehow finagle this, like, cart up and down the stairs. So, whatever. Whatever. Are you saying that, Jenny, that you live in a food desert? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not technically. There's, like, decent... There's options. I guess I'm just a little too snobby for them. At least for them to be my main source of food. I don't mind going to the bodegas to, like, pick up some types of things, but, it, you know. To be yeah, fair, the one around the corner for me is, like... Store. Yeah. Actually, the one around me, I, I actually think their food is pretty good for the most part. Like, they have fresh produce and they have, like, a deli counter. Uh, they just It's just not enough quite enough options you know yeah I did discover there's like a convenience store near me that has well I suppose it would be like a bodega but we don't call them that here (laughs) and yeah it's the same thing they've got like you know a pretty okay refrigerated produce section and like they've got what I recently discovered though is they have a lot more like staple pantry items than I thought they did Mm -hmm. so like I usually only buy like wine there right yeah. like I'm coming home from work and I'm like I you know want to get a yeah. bottle of wine but like one day I just was like wandering through the shelves and I was like oh they actually sell things like canned tomatoes and like you know yeah. things that would be difficult to get in a pinch yeah um, yeah yeah if I don't feel like going up a hill or something yeah you know the biggest thing is um when you run out of like eggs or something yeah that's like the one for me that's the most difficult to just like go out and get you know you know why because I got very spoiled when I first moved to San Francisco because we had we free had eggs all the time a fantastic fresh, grocery store like fresh. two feet away oh. oh yeah 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 that's true. well I mean yeah the farm fresh eggs too that your sister would bring but you know the I know the co-op was the right co-op there. right next door was uh, and it was a co-op that we didn't have to work at so that was I nice know too. that's true I was <laughs> thinking about that the other day I was like it'd be really tough to go back to that <laughs> If you, if again, if I live closer though, not that big of a deal. It's just that like, oh, I have to take. It takes me twenty to forty minutes to get there. Once a month, it's just too much. All right. Well, we, I'm sure everyone as is thrilled to know about be. our grocery yeah. habits. <laughs> I could go on, but I I could literally talk about this all day. But I don't think people want to listen to this all day. <laughs> yeah. So uh, sorry, guys. Apologies. Yes. Um, Let's talk about Buffy. Let's talk about <laughs> this puzzlingly titled episode of Buffy. Yes, older and far away. Well, we've mm-hmm. got the older. Um, mm-hmm. Because once again, this is the Buffy birthday episode, which of we course. have established historically does not usually work out so well for mm-hmm. Buffy. Um, in fact, I think even Spike in this episode suggests that she just stop celebrating yeah. her birthdays. <laughs> um, but it is her birthday, so um, her friends have invited over Buffy's limited social circle to the house to just kind of hang out, have some cake, play some games. That seems to be the the plan. Uh, Dawn is feeling obviously a little bit neglected. Everybody's kind of busy the eve before the party. Anya and Xander have to do the books at the magic shop. Willow's got a support group, and Buffy's out patrolling, killing some monsters, so Dawn heads off to go buy Buffy's gifts by herself. Uh, Meanwhile, Buffy is out patrolling. She encounters this, well, not a vampire, this demon that Mm -hmm. she thinks that she kills, but instead he just kind of gets sucked into his sword, which Buffy then takes home. So then they have the party. Uh, Everyone invited shows up. Anya and Xander bring a 
not a setup, but a, a friend for Buffy. Mm-hmm. Um, I already forgot his name. Me too. But Who cares? it's clearly a setup situation. Um, Buffy also invites Tara, so Willow and Tara are both a little, you know, freaked out about seeing each other for the first time. And then Spike and Clem also show up mm-hmm. because it's not a party without your vampire and your friend with his skin condition. Yeah. <laughs> and um, also, Buffy invites one friend that she's made at the Double Meat Palace. So. Mm-hmm. This is our group, but unbeknownst to them, and and, in, and frankly, unbeknownst to Dawn, she has encountered a justice demon, not vengeance <laughs> demon, um, at school. So she gets called into the guidance counselor who says, you know, she's noticing Buffy's grade or Dawn's grades are slipping, you know, asking if everything's okay. And she kind of goads Dawn into making a wish mm-hmm. and... Once everyone's in the house, she shows up at the house and grants the wish. What they don't know, but that we know, is that this is Halfrek, Anya's friend, right. who um, we has met. put the spell uh, on yeah. the house. And so it's not immediately clear that anything weird is going on. Like, everybody's kind of enjoying the party. These various social dynamics are playing out. Spike keeps trying to get Buffy to sneak away to have sex. She keeps trying to um, rebuff him. Tara's kind of running interference for mm-hmm. her. This friend of Anya, Anya and Xander's is trying to kind of, you know, hit on Buffy a little bit. And everybody's generally having a good time um, until they realize it's the next morning and nobody, everybody has places to be, but nobody wants to leave. Mm-hmm. So everyone's kind of saying like, oh, I know I have to go to work. I want to go to work, but I also can't leave. I don't, I don't want to leave the house. And then they also discover they physically can't leave if they try mm-hmm. um so they realize something's going on um everyone immediately assumes dawn has done something yeah. uh, because dawn but but mostly because dawn gets upset when everybody is expressing like hey i need to go to work i need mm-hmm. to go to school and she's kind of taking it a bit personally yeah so they um all figure out there is clearly a spell but they can't figure out what it is tara tries to do a spell to release them, but all that does is release the monster in the sword who is then now trapped in the house with them and hiding in the walls and playing games with them. Mm-hmm. So everybody's really freaked out. Anya is really spiraling. She's not handling this really well. So she, you know, is convinced that Dawn must know something, goes into her room, and in, in her search discovers all this shoplifted loot that Dawn has acquired Mm -hmm. mostly from the magic box which Anya clearly takes personally understandably um but also in this various uh confrontation display they discover that Dawn did make a wish with a vengeance demon Mm -hmm. and so now they at least know what's going on Anya kind of figures it out she summons Holly to the house and tells her to end the spell and she does but she also points out that all of them you know we're a bit oblivious to Dawn's suffering. Dawn is telling Buffy, you know, I feel so lonely and alone, and none of them noticed, which, you know, they I think they got a good shaming for that. Mm-hmm. Um, they also killed the demon at some point, too. Sure. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's that's pretty much it. So, happy birthday, Buffy. Maybe happy stop birthday. celebrating. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of like Halloween. Like, stop pretending something's not going to happen this year. Mm-hmm. Just face up. <laughs> Yeah, so my first observation to this episode, because of the way it starts out, you know, it starts out with Buffy fighting, you know, telling Dawn she has to go um, fight some, you know, some demon or other. Oh, if it weren't for this thing, I would stay home, blah, blah, blah. And and, I mean, and there is, there's this demon guy. But I, I'm, 
I mean, maybe we've mentioned this before and it seems it's like a little bit obvious of a thing to say, but it is so interesting how in especially in this in season six, probably the last season um, also like the demons are so peripheral, (laughs) you know, like in in season one, two, three, four, that demon finding out what he was, figuring out how to defeat him and killing him would have been the whole arc of the episode. And so I thought it was not, it's not a criticism at all. I think it's just, I think it's very interesting and demonstrative of kind of where we are with this show. And especially with this season that like that happens in the, I mean, he comes back and he is like a plot device, but it's not the, he's not the theme of the episode. I mean, and technically I guess Halfrick is a demon too, but it's so different than like, they don't really spend that much time doing research you know, Buffy pretty much just beats him by with physical strength, which, to be honest, was kind of always the thing. But, you know, I don't know. I just thought it was very interesting. I was like, oh, my God, we're in such a different place than we used to be. So it's interesting to me that you took that angle, because for me, it was more frustrating. I even wrote in my notes, like, why do we need a demon in this episode? So I felt like being trapped in the house was enough. Well, like the that's true. Interpersonal that's true. dynamics. And like, <clears throat> it really seemed superfluous to have this extra demon that then is adding to all this and now he did add to like the fear in the house and you could argue that's what they felt they needed to get Anya really scared I guess I don't know but it felt to me that that demon didn't even need to be part of the story well you're right I don't disagree with you I guess I feel like we did touch on this an episode or two ago and you're gonna have to help me remember what we said but it is interesting I guess that maybe they think I can't, you know, and I don't know if it would be true for the audience or or not, but the that the writers think if there's not a demon, then it's not an episode of Buffy. Yeah. Right? Like it a little bit. It kind of feels like it. I, I don't know. I guess I don't... I agree that he's not really necessary. It didn't bother me, though, because it's, they didn't spend that much time with it, that it kind of is this just, like, background of, like, well, they're in Sunnydale and she's a slayer and she's still slaying. So I think in that way, way it didn't really bother me but I agree that it's like not necessary but I still think it's interesting like why isn't it necessary anymore this this season is so much about Buffy and Dawn and Willow it's really not about anything else I mean apparently it's about like demons taking out like their personal feelings on humans (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah I mean it yeah okay so like we could we could say the demon doesn't like detract. I, I felt like it was an extra level that kind of took away maybe from more like interpersonal interactions that would have been really interesting. I mean, he does kind of create a sense of urgency. Like he wounds that guy. So then they're like really going against yeah. the ticking clock trying to escape the house. But I don't know. It was like all kind of strange to me. And I don't know. I, I guess what was I, also strange is like this idea. And maybe this speaks to something where you were kind of saying like at this point they've... Um, like Buffy's so good at what she's doing that like the demons aren't really the threat. Like, yeah, they're not really the threat, but what that, the flip side of that is also Buffy is so ingrained in this world that the demons are weirdly personal. Like Halfrick coming and like right. carrying out a personal vendetta and being a friend of Anya's is like, just That's true. think about, compare <laughs> that to like yeah. season two. That's like really strange. It is. Yeah. You know, like, there's, they don't really, I guess they kind of try to answer, but, like, why is she really doing this? Like, what stake does she have in this other than to, like, I don't know. I mean, like, on she uh, trapped her friend in the house who's, like, yeah, like as Anya true. points out, like, some of these people are in the wedding party. Right, you know? right, 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 right. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess then at that point it's really just that, like, I mean, she's still a demon and that's her ultimate motivation and, you know, being, providing vengeance is the main thing that she does. And she does, I, I think what 
saves it a little bit is that she, you know, Halfrick points out to everybody like this girl is so desperate. It's in, it's it's ludicrous that none of them have even noticed. So I do feel like there is a little bit of it that it's like it's not just like Dawn is kind of like had a day where she was grumpy and Halfrick jumped on it. I mean, I think there is a little bit of insinuation that Halfrick knew she was there before Anya even called her. So like, I think that's a little bit of it. I mean, I agree that it's like. I don't know, though. I, I think that's the same place that we get into with any of the demons of or, you know, like the spike kind of characters is it's like, well, I mean, why would Halfrick trap her friend? But I think because ultimately she's a demon and she doesn't really care. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. I think it's reasonably consistent. Yeah, that's probably the answer. She um, knows cognitively that it's doing damage to her friend, but like per, like as a demon, she just doesn't care. <laughs> yeah. Or doesn't care more than she cares about having fun and doing her job. So. I think Anya is an interesting one to talk about here because I think you're right, like, with Halfrick, like, maybe she just really doesn't ultimately care that she's causing her friend pain. Yeah. But Anya does seem to be reacting worse than anyone to this situation. To be honest, though, I'm not sure I buy that. I don't know where that... I felt a little bit like I don't know where that came from. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I'm I'm saying. Like, why is she having this total meltdown? Like, it's kind of weird and out of character. Like, Anya is usually the one who's like oh, it's just this, it'll be fine, or, like, oh, whatever. But, like, she's being really mean to everyone. She's having this, like, meltdown when, you know, they're sitting there, like, she's sitting there with Xander. She's, like, having, like, a panic attack. And yeah. then she's also, like, just really going after Dawn. Like, it's... And Willow. And, yeah, and Willow. I mean, it's really strange. It is. You're right. And, and especially to Dawn, who, again, is, like, I mean, we should talk about Dawn separately, but, like, I... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's just not appropriate to go after a teenager like that, I don't think. At least not in this situation. Unless, like, the writers couldn't think of any other way to get her to, like, discover the shoplifting, but... I do think that's what it was. It all feels, like, too much in service of such a small thing. I agree. And really out of character it just seems, It is so out of, char- out of character. She is very high-strung, but she's never really panicked about things before. And... As much as, like, maybe I can understand her getting frustrated when she doesn't immediately understand what the solution is, like, she has more or less been the Giles this season in terms of, like, helping them break down and try and figure out what has gone wrong. I mean, it's also, like, a little silly that she wouldn't have thought about a vengeance demon because it kind of seems like that's always floating around in the back of her mind. You know what I mean? Like, it's also, like, silly that it's not her who realizes that up front, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't... I didn't buy that at all. I do think they just needed... And I guess this is, okay, sorry. This is a segue into another kind of flaw, I think, in the season in general. And not, flaw isn't exactly the right way, right word. I just mean to say, so we have this, we're running this analogy for Willow about how her, you know, her, her being a witch is like her addiction. And that's the metaphor that they've been pretty heavy handedly putting into every episode. But I definitely think it broke down a little bit in this episode, because as much as it was silly, I think, for Anya to 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 panic the way that she did and to kind of overreact the way that she did and to be so mean to Willow and to Dawn and all that stuff. I do think that she made a good point about like, I mean, there might be life or death situations where Willow probably should use magic again. And I, you know, and I, I guess I just. It was hard not to kind of see the cracks a little bit because I really understand where Willow and Tara are coming from this episode. And like, it's really great that we get to see Willow, how she's made so much progress and get to see Tara defend her and all that stuff. And I loved that. But like, in reality, you know, objectively, like, it's not the same thing, you know, like being addicted to drugs or alcohol 
I don't think there is a positive, you know what I mean? There's never that like, oh, but if you did it, it would yeah. save everybody. You know, like that's the part where I was a because little bit like, it's hard to think of Anya as only being villainous here because she's not wrong. Yeah, because this is where that metaphor falls apart is yeah. that alcoholism <clears throat> is like more destructive and has no positive and, other and than has, fun. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. there's there's no scenario where like you could drink for the greater good. Exactly. But <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, yeah. But for Willow to to say that, and and it's true. Like for Willow personally, she can't do magic. But like to not do it to save her friends is like, yeah, I agree. That's where it falls completely apart because it is a little bit insane to say that her doing magic would be outweighed by the possible like personal consequences like it's true that like they didn't have they weren't at the point where they had no options exactly like I feel like if we were a season later right where you know the town is going extinct or something like Willow would obviously you know at this point like step in and do magic but like there is no immediate threat to where like you can really see both sides but it is also true that like it's not the same thing at all. I, like, I wonder if it would have been better if they had pre- presented it then more as a moral conundrum of like, I've made all this progress. I'm feeling so good and I don't want to do this thing. You know what I mean? Like if, if it had maybe been approached more as a, yeah, as a, as a moral or philosophical debate that Willow has to have with herself, as opposed to this like kind of, she did the right thing. Cause she didn't do it. And like, you know, or, or, or if her and Tara had kind of admitted that, like, I, we totally see where you're saying we're not desperate enough for that yet. I don't know. I don't know. I, and, and also, I think the show gives themselves a like a way out of this, where it turns right. out that the spell couldn't be undone anyway because right. the only person who could undo it is the demon. So, but like, that's also just what Anya said. I don't know if I buy that either. You know, I don't know. I I believe it. I guess, like, that's kind of Anya saying, like, oh, this. Right, right, right. Sorry, I know they meant it that way. I agree that that's what the episode said. I'm just saying, like, I don't know. Willow is really powerful. She probably could have done something. I don't know. I don't know. She might have been able to discover what was going on, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, or she could have killed the demon. I don't know. Yeah, like maybe Willow could have made the demon corporeal and like unable to like, you know, disappear. True, true. But again, yeah. I, I guess we're not really supposed to be thinking about. Yeah, that. I, yeah. <laughs> I did okay. like Tara stepping in. For oh Willow, my god! You know, like that it was a really great moment. It was. It was. And not to be this person again, but, like, Tara was so amazing in this episode. <laughs> Literally every word she said, everything she did, she outshone everybody. Like, she is so much better than the rest of them, like, as a human. It's just ridiculous. Like, she yeah. defends Tara. She stands up. She doesn't stand up for Dawn, but in that scene when they all start interrogating her, the literally the first words out of Buffy's mouth are, what did you do? And Tara immediately says, what do you know? And I was like, that's already, like such an, a better way to frame the same thing. Cause it's clear that they need to at least ask her some questions, but like Buffy is like actually pointing fingers at her. Whereas Tara is kind of like inviting her to join the problem solving. You know what I mean? I was just like, that's so like, she's such a better parent than the rest of them already. And it's like instinctual. Like, I don't think she was thinking that like, Oh, it'll be better if I say this. She's just such a nicer, better person. <laughs> yeah. And I do think that, like, the way the show gets around everybody immediately accusing Dawn is, like, her reaction was... Over the top. Yeah, totally. Oh, yeah, exactly. Totally, totally, And, like, totally. it did seem like she was upset that they weren't... Yeah. Like, it did seem like she wanted to keep everyone there. I totally so, think they had a good reason to ask her yeah. questions. I just think they all but, are not mature the, enough to go at it, you know, in a, no, in a helpful way. The, and the optics of, like, 
you know, six, six of grown them. adults exactly. like looming over a child and yeah. like demanding, you know, and, and as Xander rightly points out, like, mm-hmm. well, they've all been there. Exactly, like, exactly. That they know. didn't even start out with any, um, they weren't giving her any leeway at all. Even if she did something, they weren't saying like, oh, did you, you know, at least insinuating that it could have been an accident at first is like where you start if you want to be nice to someone. <laughs> yeah. And she but doesn't really have a history of this, right? Of casting well, spells on all of them? Like, not really. The only time that that happened, they thought it was her fault, and then it turned out it was Xander's fault, you know? Like, yeah. I think they I have think kind she of... thought it was her fault, too, though. True. So, I don't know. But they... Yeah, I mean, I think what the show is trying to do, and again, maybe not doing it super well, is, like, they're really conveying this idea that these young adults have no business raising Oh, a I child. agree. I actually, and I think they're succeeding. I think I bought it. No, no, no. It. <laughs> I mean, like, the way they're doing it is, like... I don't know. It's like they're not totally willing to cross the line to say these people aren't stepping up. Like, you know, they kind of want to have their cake and eat it, too, where, like, Buffy's failing Dawn, but also she has such a good reason, you know? Like, it's... Yeah. This, there is no really good reason for, like, this scenario where nobody is noticing this girl is, like, in pain. Um, now, Dawn I has think, a horrible yeah. way of expressing herself, she does. so that's part of it. Like, it, she, It's true. She she doesn't she like pins it all up and then she just explodes as if yeah. everybody is at fault but like she's never good about communicating her feelings really and when she does it's like snarky and petty and everybody's right. just writing it off as oh she's a teenager. Just teenager. Yeah. Yeah. But that is what teenagers do, so Exactly. I mean, I think like learning how to communicate effectively is, cer- is certainly something that I'm still learning how to do every day, so it's like I don't know that it's fair to be like, "Oh, and I don't think this is what you were saying." But yeah, like it's not she's 16 like she maybe she should be more mature than she is but like that's a really hard thing to do to really be able to express yourself coherently to people when you're upset is like that's not easy so yeah um I I guess I do I don't think that they're trying to have their cake and eat it too in terms of uh their management of Dawn I think I don't know I do feel a little bit like everybody's doing their best it's just that right now they're all in such a bad place that their best is just not gonna be up to snuff you know, like Willow's in in the throes of addiction and Buffy is depressed. So like they also can't express themselves very, um, even, you know, maturely to themselves and their friends. And so the fact that they're not noticing Dawn, I think they're still what are they're 22 now? Like that's I still 21, 22. Yeah. Still really young to really be less self-centered than, you know, teenagers and young well, yeah, adults and are. Well, yeah, and also like, I think this episode really highlights this idea that, like, the one mostly stable caretaker that Dawn had... Right, isn't there. ...from the group because of right. this whole situation, so... It's true, it's true. I have a few just side notes. Oh, I do have one thing I really want to talk about, but maybe it'll come up in your notes. Oh, these are... I have only stray observations. Okay, well, so you can go. we talk about Halfrick? Yes, yes, she was... And okay, right. she, she was one of mine. quite obviously... <laughs> The woman from Spike's past. Yes. So I, okay, I've always been thinking about it as they just cast the role with the same actress. I totally forgot this episode. Oh, that they know. Yeah. That she knows him, that she's like, William? And he recognizes her too. And they don't really say anything, but like the implication is like, this is the same person. Now, totally. what I don't know is that was she a demon the whole time Spike knew her or only no, after? Because no, they never certainly really clarify after. like her age. Yeah. Oh, no, because I think in the flashbacks that we've had previously, I mean, just to remind everybody, is that when we saw flashbacks about um, Spike before he was a vampire and how he got turned, we saw that he was like a hopeless, lovelorn, 
horrible poet. And this was the woman that he, Halfrick was the woman that he was trying to woo with his bad poetry. But I think the fact that she was there in that party in that way, it really seemed like she was part of the community and everybody knew who she was. So I'm certain that she was a, became a demon after that. Okay. I also am pretty sure that they did just cast her hoping that no one would notice and then later decided it would be a funny joke to like make a nod to it. I don't, I don't feel like they were like, Oh, it makes a lot of sense for that woman from Spike's past to be this vengeance demon. I think that was just an accident, but then it was like, well, may as well acknowledge it. Because in a way it doesn't work. Like it implies that this, like these circles they run in are so incredibly small, small, you know, but then again, for the people that are living hundreds and thousands of years, maybe they are that small. (laughs) But for, like, for two people in that social circle to one become a yeah. vampire and one become a demon, like, I don't know. I'd... Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. But it was, I, it was a great moment, and I, I like, cackled. It was, <laughs> and I also totally, I thought Halfrick's final scene was hilarious. <laughs> I, I loved watching her keep waving her arms in an attempt to escape <laughs> and it not working, and then her having to, like, really disgruntledly be like, oh, fine, I undo the curse, and then disappear. Like, I, I loved it. I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> I mean, even just an easy mark, but like, I thought she was really funny. <laughs> Maybe also just because the rest of this episode, again, is like so heavy and it's so upsetting in ways that are like not really satisfying. You know, like it's not like there's not really any catharsis at the end of this either. It's not like everybody's learned their lesson and they're going to treat Dawn differently, at least not immediately. So I feel like that. I mean, maybe there are some changes, but it just feels like they still have a long way to go. So it's like, it was not a super satisfying ending of an episode. So I appreciated that, like, well, what kind of made it satisfying for me was Halfrick just throwing out a bunch of bad jokes. Or not bad, funny jokes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. Anya's line about, like, some of these people are in the wedding party was, like, pretty <laughs> back on brand for her. And Yeah. Oh, okay. Here's my other note. Anya was wearing a poodle skirt in this episode. I don't remember that part of uh, early aughts fashion. Do you? That was not a thing. Why was she wearing a poodle skirt? I don't think I noticed. The it wasn't skirt. a theme party. She was literally, and not. I don't just mean was wearing a cir- circle cut skirt. There was literally a poodle on it. <laughs> what? What are you doing? <laughs> I don't remember that. Oh my god. Sigh. Um, one thing I did really like about this episode and the way that they carried out the spell is that it's a very gradual thing. Like it's not obvious. Yes. Halfrick is like, Oh, wish granted, but you don't know what the wish is really. And then it's really not obvious that anything weird is going on until all of a sudden you're like, wait, it's morning. Why are these people still playing monopoly? Like, Totally. And that they didn't notice either. Cause like, even like the guy that they invited for Buffy says something like, Oh, sorry, I'm touching my cord again. Um, he says like, Oh, this is such a fun party. No one wants to leave. And it's like kind yeah. of, a, you know, it's like maybe it's 11 at that point. So it's like, yeah, eh, sure. It's like, it's like a good party. But you're right. that And like, Buffy, you know, when Willow was like, oh, we're going to go get beer. And then she just falls asleep. It's just like that could just happen. Yeah. Like they're arguing over the beer run. But like yeah. that seems normal until all of a sudden you think about the clues and context. Right. And you're like, oh, like, yeah. Yeah. OK, I, I almost don't want to talk about this, but. I mean, I really think that they're muddying the waters with Buffy and Spike again. Ugh, yeah. I really felt like it was annoying that he was there. It was annoying that he was being his now lecherous self. But Buffy was, I thought, pretty actively flirting with him, too. And I felt like that was, again, like, I don't know, after the, what we just saw in the last episode, like, is that really how she, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I can't tell and also her someone how they should Tara react. And also implied that she was, like, talking about she's not ready to, like, out a relationship. Well, not, exactly. Like, not... Just, yeah. I just feel like... 
I don't know. It is just, the show is really, their, their relationship is whatever they want it to be for the week's episode, as opposed to having any real consistency to it. You know, it was like, it was funnier for it to be like this this week, instead of for Buffy to just kick him out because he wasn't invited. (laughs) Yeah. They don't really know what they want that to be, I think. Mm -mm. Or it's just whatever the plot requires. Exactly. That's what it feels like. That's more annoying. That said, happy to see Clem again. Always happy to see Always Clem. Happy to, happy see to Clem. see him learning how to play poker without kittens. <laughs> yeah. I loved having him there. He didn't really get to do much, but I just, he's so charming. I do like how that guy was like, I don't think that guy has <laughs> yeah, a skin condition. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. I mean, the long nails, like all that. Yeah. Like, he's got red eyes. The ears. Yeah. It is <sighs> weird in this season. I feel like especially <clears throat> like the demons seem to be less underground. Like, yeah. You know, like, Angel's always had this thing where the demons are, like, out in the world and socializing. Like, this week we saw a demon brothel, and there's... It's not the first demon brothel, I think, that we've seen. And there's Lauren's Club, and there's Lauren. Like, all of that is... Kind of feels like a different take on the demon world, but also, I think the rationale they've always had is like oh it's los angeles like everything's Mm -hmm. weird and people don't really notice but like sunnydale's a really small town and we've never really seen until this season this idea that there's like an underground demon like social scene it's true i i do sort of think that's bleeding over from angel but i think so too because like historically there's always kind of been a reference of like the the demons and the vampires are literally living underground right. and like doing their best to avoid each other. Right. And then in this season, we've got Spike's standing poker game and like, right. you know, all these clubs. And I mean, there was always Willie's Bar, but like that was it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. So, and that seemed to be catering more towards vampires than anything. Right. I don't know. It's just something I've noticed where I they're agree. getting really, they're getting a Lucy lot goosey. Yeah. <laughs> um. I guess I just want to say, too, that in terms of, like, I th- I agree that they did the spell well. I also thought in the beginning of the episode they actually did, you know, until Dawn gets really bratty about everything, I think they did a pretty good job of kind of conveying her loneliness in those opening scenes. You know, like, when she, like, comes back from the mall and she's alone and she's alone in the house. Like, I don't know. There was just something about it that kind of hit me for a minute, too, where I was like, she really is, she really is being left totally alone, like, almost all of the time. I mean, and again, that's not only a judgment on them because there's, you know, we've covered all the various reasons why this is happening, not the least of which is just because they have, you know, difficult, dangerous lives. But I I thought that they did a nice job of setting up the beginning of the episode, too. You know what I think is, um, you know, what might have really made it work more for me Mm. is that I think the problem is because for an entire season, it's, I think it's because of the nature of the way they introduced Dawn. So we have an right. entire season where Buffy's off at college. Joyce is, like, un, in, like, one episode, maybe two, of, like, the entire season. And then we have last season where Dawn suddenly exists and Buffy's at home more and Joyce is there. And it's clearly all in service to this idea so that you feel bad when Joyce dies. Like, you right. understand more of, like, what Buffy had to lose. Of course. And then what, like, her place is. But I think... In some ways, that also was a disservice because we only had, like, 13 episodes to really see this dynamic between Joyce and Dawn and, like, this role that she played in Dawn's life and the role that Dawn played in Buffy's life and this dynamic that, like, now when we see Dawn being neglected or at home alone all the time, like, to me as a viewer, that doesn't seem anything out of the ordinary from, like, 
the way the show depicted Buffy's home life anyway. Like, Buffy was frequently at home alone or Joyce was there because, like, because there wasn't enough time spent with this dynamic that, like, it's even hard for me to remember sometimes, like, why this scenario is hard for Dawn. So... I I guess... Yeah. I see what you're saying, but I feel like it's just objectively so sad that she is a teenager whose mom died and then her sister died and then she gets ignored all the time. Like, I feel like that is Objectively, that is sad, but I'm saying it's hard to remember sometimes that that's actually the scenario. Yeah, I guess that's true because there's just so so much going on, too. The old status quo. Yeah. So did you like this episode? I guess I feel medium about it. Like, I, did, I didn't hate it. Yeah, it's fine. I didn't hate it. I, um, it's not know. my favorite. It wasn't like some of those last couple that we've had, though. It does sort of feel like they're maybe getting some kind of footing again. Yeah. I just... Bringing everybody back into the room and having... I mean, they were still definitely making mistakes and being inconsistent with some of the characters. It did feel a little bit like maybe things are about to come together, though. Maybe that's just because I know what's going to happen next, but I felt a little bit like it wasn't great, but it felt a little more on the right track. Like it wasn't a cartoony tone. It wasn't confused about like what the rules of the actual physical universe are. (laughs) Yeah. I, I do think though that like, and, and this is something that I think is a marker of this whole season and maybe why people give it a hard time is that, you know, it's not just Buffy who seems depressed. No. Like, I was just thinking about this episode, like, they're they're all gathered for a party. They all say they're having a good time. Yeah. But no one's smiling. Everyone's yeah. really quiet. Like, it was a pretty no quiet one really episode. seems to want to be there. Yeah. Like, it doesn't feel like anyone... Like, Tara's the only one who ever seems happy. Like, yeah. she was having a great time. It's laughing true. at Spike <laughs> yeah, and, like, you know, doing all this. But, like, no one else was. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I had that thought, too, watching this episode. I mean, I think Dawn's depressed, too. Yeah. You know, and then we don't spend as much time with her because she's not the main character. But like, I mean, she's certainly like screaming for help in all of the like childish, obvious ways, you know, like shoplifting and having an attitude and doing all those things. So I, I don't know. I mean, we don't really call it that, but or we haven't really called it that yet. But I kind of feel like she and Buffy are not. You know, their motives are very different, I think, but it's, it feels like they're not in that different of a place. Right. And Xander and Anya don't seem particularly happy. Yeah, well, definitely that's true. doesn't seem happy. Like, it's kind of hard to watch a bunch of sad people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And and I just feel like at this point, like, it's it feels a little tiring, but it's also, like, maybe that's more because I know that this still has farther to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Uh, and um, I guess this is the other observation that I think you and I have made before too. It's so definitely, I think this season more than any other one has really been impacted by watching it week to week instead of binging it. I feel like the fact that these are so slow and so this, this sad, you know, sort of unfun storyline is dragged out for so long. When you watch it in like two or three nights, that's still over quickly. Whereas <laughs> it's like week to week, not being sure like how sad we're going to be is like, is a very different feeling. So I, I guess I'm just saying it has made me more sympathetic to like, if you were, if you were watching this for the first time in real life, in real time, I could see how week to week, this is really dragging on. And not to say that that's not fair or accurate in terms of depicting depression, because I think every time we kind of put that lens back on it, I'm like, ah, but then on that hand, maybe they're doing a really good job, but it does make it kind of just difficult TV, especially when that's maybe not what you're expecting. No, so I agree. I, I definitely had a moment yesterday where I was like, oh, I have to watch this now. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I can't keep procrastinating. Yeah. <laughs> I almost watched Angel first, which Ugh. I never do. 
And just because we've gotten through all the like really fun episodes this season has to offer. <laughs> like even the episodes that are going to be good are going to be really depressing. <laughs> well, I don't know if we've gotten through all the fun ones. I think the next one is fun. Okay. Well, there's no more tabula rasa or what's more with feeling to look for, look out for is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> okay. Well. Okay. Should we move on to Angel? We should. So on to Angel. Couplet. I kind of think that's a, a cute name. I understand more why this is yeah. um, called couplet. Also because we're dealing with two couples. Exactly. So. And like a couplet. Yeah, it's cute. Um, okay. So this episode picks up pretty much where we left off, which is that the Grease Log has returned and he and Cordelia are perhaps about to rekindle their romance <laughs> that started in um, Pylea a season ago. Um, so, I mean, I, I feel like... I mean, essentially, Angel is sad because he and Cordelia just were under a spell that made them act out, you know, some romance. But of course, there's been a lot of tension between them. So I think that really hit things, opened Angel's eyes to the fact that he really does like Cordelia and he wants to be with her. And of course, as soon as he realized that, the goose log showed up and kind of threw a wrench into this whole thing. So, um, yeah, so Angel is sad and moping to Lauren about it. Meanwhile, we see Cordelia and the Grusalog um, back at her apartment, and it seems like, th- you know, that they're hitting hitting it off and that they're feeling very romantic, but then Cordelia gets a vision, um, and it kind of stops things from happening. So um, I don't know why I'm being so coy about this, but hopefully mm-hmm. everyone <laughs> follow along. Cordelia wasn't coy about but it. She wasn't. She wouldn't have sex. <laughs> um, so, you know, she and the team... She explains her vision, and they go about um, researching what this demon is that she saw. She saw the Groose Log as this demon, and they figure out who he is and where he's going to be. And so Angel, they send Gru and Angel off in one direction to chase him, while the rest of them go in another direction. And by the end of it, they've tracked him down, but he runs into the sunlight, and so Angel's not able to follow, and the Groose Log is able to kill him. So Angel is being a real sad sack in this episode. He feels bad because Gru is taking his, you know, stealing his love interest and also stealing some of, not stealing, but like taking the glory. Angel feels like maybe he's a better champion because he can go out in the daylight and he can have sex with Cordelia, which is something that Angel will never be able to do. So he's feeling very, you know, he's annoying, but whatever. Um, <clears throat> meanwhile, Wesley, Gunn, and um, Fred are also still playing out their own little love triangle, which is that, you know, Gunn and um, Fred are basically starting to get together. Wesley knows about it, and he's really jealous. He kind of tries to, like, through, you know, the um, angel investigations kind of front, he tries to separate them, but of course they go off to investigate this little, you know, B-plot, which is some woman says that her husband has been seduced by someone and she thinks it's a witch. So they go to observe this, and instead, it turns out that it was like a magical tree that was uh, it, using people as batteries, blah, blah, blah. Um, sorry, I'm kind of going back and forth. But also, meanwhile, Cordelia has, decides that she didn't want to sleep with the Grusalog because she's worried that when they were in Pylea, that was going to be the way that her visions transferred to him. And so she doesn't want to lose her visions. You know, she's worked really hard to get them, you know, over the last several episodes. So um, it makes sense. But she eventually realizes that like she's sort of just putting up walls she's really lonely and she really does want to be with him so she sends angel and him to a brothel to go get a magic prophylactic i forget what they called it of something else prophylactic which i thought was pretty funny um so that paranormal prophylactic thank you so that she could have sex with him and not lose her visions um so they do that meanwhile angel 
uh, after they get the potion, Angel and the Grusala go to help Fred um, and Gunn, who have been also sucked in by this magical tree. Um, and Grusala kind of goes in a little too ham-fistedly, gets caught, and so Angel has to find, you know, save the day, kind of, and bail him out. Um, but when they return back to the headquarters, um, there's several uncomfortable conversations. Wesley gives Gunn a weird talking to that I didn't approve of. And um, Angel kind of does his best sad sack to tell Cordelia, like, you should be with Gru and here's this money. You guys should not come to work and go blah, blah, blah. Go on a vacation. I think that's it. Yeah. yeah. More or less. I am. Um... Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot a huge thing, which is that. Uh, meanwhile, Wesley is acknowledges in the beginning of the episode that they now that they're a little more settled in with having Connor around, they need to maybe reinvestigate why he's there, how this happened. And so he's in the background getting um, translated, you know, scholar uh, scholarship and works where people have looked up these prophecies. And so he's stays late um, translating one of these um, books that he's gotten a hold of. And we see at the very closing scene that he's written down, the father will kill the son as part of his translation. Yes. I assume that will have consequences of some kind. <laughs> so where to start? Um, I guess I want to start with Wesley because uh, you just said something where you said he gave Gunn a talking to that you didn't quite approve of. I and I, I think I get what you mean, but I also think that what this episode for me is like a really clear line for is like, so Wesley's arc in this season you can make the argument that he's really driven by this jealousy of Fred and Gunn, and this is kind of the catalyst for his arc of, like, Fred making her choice and it's Gunn. Although, whether she made a choice is unclear because... She didn't Wesley know. Wesley never really yeah. clearly, you know, explained his feelings. But I never... I didn't really read it as Gunn... Or Fred... Or, oh my gosh. Wesley giving Gunn a talking to so much as you know, making him acknowledge this because Gunn kind of knew that Wesley had a crush. That's true. And just kind of making Gunn acknowledge that that was the case and that yes, Fred made her choice and Wesley's going to let that lie. But like also letting Gunn know that like he does care about Fred and he wants to make sure that Gunn treats her well. I thought that was totally like, I guess it was a weird framing of that conversation. But to me, it seemed like a totally normal conversation between two guys who, like the same girl, but work together, and like, you know, one of them just wants to make sure that his stance is clear. I, I didn't hate everything he had to say. I just thought the way he framed it was really paternalistic. Like he had, like he needs to come in there and protect Fred from getting her heart broken. I thought was really unnecessary. So I didn't like the way he brought it up. Once they got into the conversation, I thought it was totally fair for them as friends and coworkers to say like, "Hey, I'm kind of hurting by this." So you know, and you know that I care about her, so treat her well. I think would have been a better conversation than kind of what I thought he said, which was, how dare you, don't ever hurt her, and you know that I'm just a, a brother. Like, I don't know, he was just so pity, pity, self-pitying. I mean, him and right. Angel both were, by, by that point in the episode, I thought had been behaving so immaturely that it was hard for me to see it without that kind of influence, so I agree that there is a conversation that they to be had and that they should have had. And I think, you know, clearing the air is the kind of responsible thing to do. I just don't, I don't think that that was how Wesley framed it in the beginning. And I think that was annoying. Right. But I also think the way that he framed it speaks a lot to like this shift that we're going to see. Yeah. Is, like yeah. we've gotten glimmers of him before, like Wesley can be really <clears throat> intense and deadly yes. when he wants to be. And like, this is kind of like 
that version of Wesley coming out. Where I, I agree. He's almost threatening Gunn. <laughs> mm-hmm. He kind of walks it back, but like it comes across really intense and like really like a threat. And I think that's that what this I is, didn't like. The like. First, yeah. like indication of that. Right. Right. Maybe it's an interesting point in a story arc point of view, but is a, as a person, I thought this made Wesley look very bad. It's it's a bad well, look you're to right threaten that, like, your, as your competition. And, like doesn't need. Yeah, like Wesley. Yeah, and there's also just we've never seen Gunn do anything. You know, it's not like oh, the depiction of Gunn has been that he has a parade of women and she's just one more notch on his bedstand. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't. We've never really seen that much of Gunn's personal life, so he doesn't have a reason to be suspicious of him, other than jealousy. Right. So I. It, well, I think it's they've, fine. They've I think had it's some accurate. questions around, and I think they've answered them, but there were still some questions, you know, around Gunn's loyalty sure. to you know, and all of that. But those have been answered, so it doesn't really seem fair to drag those up now. I agree. Yeah. Um, um, that said, though, Fred and Gunn are a little too cute. Oh, for my God. Right now. Gunn like, cannot yeah. carry those romantic lines, and no. it was a painful, painful scene. And I think we talked about this last week, too. It's just, like, they sure do suck the fun out of Gunn with these story, with this particular part of the story, and it's such a shame. I thought it was more fun and cute when they were on their stakeout, like, that felt a little bit more like Gunn was being himself, and I could see why she would like him and want to, like, make out with him in the car. Whereas, like, when they were having breakfast, it was just gag-inducing. Yeah. That was bad. It also <laughs> seems so weirdly, like, why would Gunn be saying that stuff? Exactly. Like, it doesn't seem like Gunn's character it doesn't. to, like, it totally feel, doesn't. like, mushy. I feel like his character is more to, like, be his normal self and, like, have, you know, like, casually throw out something that was really sweet. Not, like, gush over someone. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I agree. I did not like that scene. I did think it was funny, and I I understand why it feels this way, but that, meanwhile, Gru is in this episode saying very similar lines to Cordelia, but his works so much better. I think that was, like, also just... It's just so funny how, like, with just a little bit of a different... It's a different actor, a different... You know, like, the character is tweaked quite a bit, and it makes it totally different. Like, it totally makes sense. The Gruselog comes from this other world. He's always spoken in that way, so it feels very natural coming from him, whereas with Gunn, they're, like, really shoving it in. Yeah. I think that's the point, though, is, like... Totally. When you have these kinds of lines, you need to think about the character who's saying exactly, them. Exactly, yeah. Like, don't write those Gruselog lines for makes him. makes sense. Gunn, not at all. Yeah. Like, I'd expect Gunn to be, like, Hey girl, let's go get some pancakes. Not yeah. like, you know, like, oh, your brown eyes, like I'm drowning in Exactly. Like, what? Ew. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> it's also just ugh, like I yeah. yeah anyway. I agree. Um, I like them together. That was a bad scene. <laughs> them at yeah. the pancake shop or whatever. <laughs> um, you mentioned Angel being immature as well, and I also just want to say that in this episode, Angel is a petty bitch, and I love it. I don't <laughs> like, love it, though. No, you know why I love it? Because Ugh. it's not that I approve of, like, the way Angel's acting, and I do think, like, he kind of corrects it at the end He did. Of the episode, he saved himself at but, the end, and I made that note. But it's because, like, Angel and David Boreanaz is getting a chance to play something other than broody and, like, sulky. And, I ha- like, yeah. It's just a nice relief. Like, it's, it's not the direction that makes it better like it's you know like I have still being thought. petty and like annoying and like well I thought I was the champion or you know whatever but I also like it's just a nice relief from like leave me alone I just want to be with my book it's true I think where they kind of lost it for me and I guess overall I like this episode so this is like a very you know god that I liked I enjoyed watching this episode I thought it was a good episode so you know that I'm nit- now allow my nitpicks, please, is that I 
don't mind when he's being petty about kind of silly things. I think it was too much for me, though, because by the middle of the episode, he's telling Lauren, like, I should just duck out. I Grusalog is a better champion than I'll ever be. And that was like so sad sack to me that I was like, okay, you can't be petty and pathetic in this. Like you're so fragile, you know, like he was him and Wesley were just the depiction of like fragile masculinity in this episode where it's like, they get their feelings hurt for one second and then they can't function. And I was like, okay, you guys are old. You guys are men. It's not like the kids in Buffy who are themselves barely becoming adults. And so I can at least understand why they need help growing and, um, you know, handling their emotions. Like you guys are grown men, angel, you are 200 years old. Like you you have got to be able to handle this stuff better. (laughs) So I guess it it was the combination of like, if it was just him griping about like his shirt getting ripped, like I would have thought it was funny. And I did think that stuff was still funny. It was just that like, I wish it, they had had a little bit of better grass. I I just don't like Angel. He was still a sad sack in this episode, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. Him taking it as a personal affront that grew killed the demon. And can go in the sunlight. Yeah. Like nobody's going to blame Angel for that. No, no. And, and and you're right though that I li- that is literally what I wrote at the very end of this episode. I was like, okay, he thank goodness for him turning it around because I really thought he did a nice job at the end of the episode. I really felt like he did have to go through something and he worked it out. So in that sense, I kind of appreciate it because in past seasons when Angel has gotten into a pathetic place like that, he has not worked through it very quickly. So at least at least he is kind of growing for the better. But it was he still irritated me. And actually, the one thing that made me the most mad was that I understand, you know, he's very self-absorbed in this episode. He's taking everything that Gru does as a personal attack on himself, which it is clearly not. Um, But then there was a point where he said to I think he was talking to Lauren and he said, like, oh, she should just it was when he was talking about how Gru could just replace him. But they kind of set it up like he was saying, who cares if Cordelia loses her visions? Because then the Grusalog will just have revisions and we'll use him. And I thought that was, again, I know where he was coming from in the moment. And I don't think that he meant it. But it was very, like, after everything that Cordelia has done this season. And after everything that she's given up to get those visions. That he never even in this, he never even takes it seriously that it would really be a sacrifice for her to lose them. Right. It's saying, like, who cares if she keeps her visions? Like, Cordelia cares. Exactly. Exactly. That's who cares. Like, she's made it a whole point of this season to how much she feels like that's a part of her. So, yeah, maybe don't just pish post it aside and be like, well, whatever. Who cares who has the visions as long as someone has them? Like, that's really unfair. I will say, though, that it's something that they've always done consistently with Angel, regardless of whether he's Angel or Angelus, is his his reaction when his love interests show interest in someone else or seemingly, you know, ignore him or whatever, like evil angel and angel reacting like this petty, petty kind of yeah. like attitude. Like it's just more extreme when he's evil. Yeah. Like it'll just yeah. result in him like nailing a puppy to your door or something. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> right, right. but I do think like there is some consistency That's in the true. way that he reacts to this. And I kind of appreciate them not letting angel with a soul be so above, you know, yeah. this kind of behavior that just because he has a soul doesn't mean that he's still not sometimes like, you know, a petty bitch. Yeah. So yeah, I, I actually really appreciate that. And I think that it fits really neatly with this like muddying that they've, well, both shows have done of like, you know, they want to say like, Oh, you have a soul, therefore you're good, but that's not right. doesn't mean you case. have no flaws. Yeah. yeah. 
<clears throat> and and again, to your point, I think what saves this episode, what saved the episode for me was the fact that he made it a turnaround in the same episode. It wasn't like this was the start of a five episode long arc where Angel is sad <gasps> because God. we have seen that. And so it's not, you know, so when I was watching this episode, I really don't, I remember only a few more big story points for this, the rest of the show. So it's, it's not impossible from where I'm sitting for this to be like, oh, is he going to drag this on for four more episodes? So I, I, I definitely was like, okay if they're going to make him petty, but wrap it up in the end, I definitely don't mind that as much. And I think it, it does help temper it in this way that is more realistic of like, yeah, you know, nobody's perfectly in control of their emotions all the time. So it's okay for him to get upset as long as he is able to reflect on it shortly thereafter and, and, and make amends, which he did. So, yeah. Um, <clears throat> okay. I had a couple other thoughts. Let me give you some funny ones. And then we, and then I have a serious sort of one. Um, I, okay. So I said before that I think, Wesley and Angel are the depiction of fragile masculinity in this episode. Also, Gru is the total opposite. And I didn't really, that didn't really hit me until the end of the episode, but I was like, he is so, like, immediately he's like, explains to everybody that he didn't save the day Angel did. You know, like, he's so honest. He's so humble. He's so sweet. He's like constantly aware of Cordelia's feelings. Like, he was top notch. <laughs> I like him quite a bit. He's totally confident. And he like, is, at yeah. least when it comes to like his ability to like, be a champion the only time we see him a little bit uncertain is when he's not sure why cordelia is like, rebuffing, rebuffing him. him yeah um but but, but he yeah, never gets right. petty like, about like, it Angel it's the opposite. Is so like mopey yeah and, like you know <laughs> upset and grew is just like yeah i'm badass yeah like, totally i loved him um i also thought it was hilarious so i didn't mention this but in the episode you know cordelia kind of gives grew up a modern LA makeover. So she like cuts his hair and dresses him in Angel's clothes, which was like, obviously that was the setup for a bunch of jokes about how he looks just like Angel and Angel's annoyed that he's wearing his clothes. But here's my question was, I don't think we ever got a full body shot of him or maybe I just missed it, but I believe they were wearing nearly identical outfits, which says to me that Angel has at least two full length leather dusters. <laughs> like it's one, it would be one thing if you were wearing like a crop leather jacket, I don't know. I'm just saying that's a bit much, Angel. Does somebody need two of those? I don't know. I feel like it's a practical point because he, he must be constantly it, it cleaning constantly. Like, demon blood out of it. Ugh. I just thought it was yeah. funny. I'm like, how many of those do you have? Those are expensive. Yeah. I don't Spike know what that's wearing, one. but it, it does seem like Angel's got a lot of the same leather coat. I um, thought it was funny. I'm just saying, Allie, yeah. not just a leather coat, a full-length coat. It's <laughs> yeah. a lot. I don't, I don't <laughs> think that that was what Gru was wearing, but... I kind of again. Uh, you're right. It's hard I, I don't, to tell. I couldn't really tell. I was on the lookout for it too, so I, I still could have missed it. But yeah, I also loved his casual reference to the dance of revolution. And oh, I don't think like, I caught that. I was just like, Pileo really has a dance for everything. Oh, he's like, <laughs> totally he's like oh, that. then the people did the dance of revolution, and I'm like, did they make that up on the spot? Like, did they have a dance of resolution? <laughs> I also just I think. I always enjoy us, yeah, a sort of out of not out of touch, but like confused, you know, a character who's like sort of out of their element and does gets to look at the world through these like wide, fresh eyes. And I thought Gru was really good at that. Like when he and Angel were in the brothel, and Angel's cell phone rings, and he was like, "Oh, your coat is singing." That's <laughs> like yeah, that was that just such a laugh. funny line. <laughs> and he was kind of full of those things. But he was, and he was so like helpful about it too. Yeah. So he's oh, like, just in case you don't yeah. know, like your coat is singing. <laughs> uh, um. um Okay, so okay, here did you also die when 
Cordelia said virginity. Yes, that was pretty funny. <laughs> and Wesley was just like, if you want to play it that yeah. way. Yeah, she was like, no, virginity. He's like, she said it again. <laughs> but I loved, I loved Wesley and Angel like smirking at each other. Yeah. Like, and Wesley's just like, okay. Yeah. No, I liked it too. So the woman who comes in to, uh-huh. I thought like this was kind of a throwaway joke line, but like she comes in and she's like certain that her fiance has like been seduced, like magically seduced by a witch. Yeah. But she's like, I mean, he would never cheat on me. We've been yeah. engaged for eight, eight years. years. Yeah. <laughs> no, I thought that was good too. <laughs> I was like, uh, you're not getting married. Yeah. <laughs> no, I thought that was good. Um, okay. So. At the very end of this episode, you know, Angel and Wesley are kind of left in the hotel feeling sorry for themselves. Not incre- not totally unfairly. Feeling very lonely. Angel goes to visit, you know, goes to see Connor and realizes, like, I'm not alone. I have a son. And it's like a beautiful, touching moment. Sure. <clears throat> Wesley does not get the same thing. And I understand that the... I feel like the part of the reason that they didn't go this way is because they wanted the big reveal where we see what... Wesley has been writing down, but in that scene, so Angel comes down thinking he's alone. Wesley is so absorbed in his work. He also thinks he's alone. And I guess I just thought it, I thought it was interesting. Is this, was that moment when Angel is realizing he can still be happy, even if things with Cordelia never work out because he has friends and specifically has a son. I thought it would have been a really touching, beautiful moment if they had sort of bonded over, well, we might be lonely right now romantically, but we can be friends and we can spend time together. And they didn't go in that direction. And it sort of reminded me of the Faith Buffy split, you know, when there is kind of this moment where it, we talked about a lot in season three of Buffy, where she, it's not her fault that Faith, you know, Faith does what Faith does and Faith owns those, I, you know, owns her responsibility for her own actions. But it does feel like there's a moment in Buffy where if Buffy had, had, behaved a little better, had been a little more aware, she might have been able to reach Faith. And I sort of felt, got that same feeling in this scene where I sort of thought if Angel had been a little more self, a little more aware of other people's feelings, he might have reached out to Wesley in that moment. And again, me forgetting most of what happens with Wesley for the rest of the show, I I do wonder if that might have changed things. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I think it also... To me, where I see the interesting angle of that is, like, the, yes, the, like, what could have happened, but also, like, isn't it such a great depiction of, like, how men, yes, like, don't talk totally. to each other? totally, that too. Yes, yes, and the, yeah, yes. Yeah, that if they had realized like, they could Angel be there for Wesley one another, they don't... even consider reaching to each other for comfort or exactly. friendship. Like, they're not really friends. Yeah. And I think some of that is the history of, like, their dynamic is always a bit... Like, it's very professional, but they're not... But it didn't have you know, to be. It didn't have to be, Because they're not no. that I way mean, with Cordelia, and that's the exact that same they're circumstance. they're both going through, like, the exact same situation, yeah. and they could definitely lean on each other, yeah. and it doesn't even occur to them. Exactly. Yes, oh, no, that but Angel too. might not know that Wesley's going through that situation, and Wesley might not know that Angel is, but, like, they're both clearly going through something. It's true, but it's also, again, a little bit, not willful, but, like, Angel is not observant. It's not that there's no clues there that Wesley, maybe he wouldn't understand exactly what Wesley is upset about, but it's not as though there's no, no clues for him to grasp onto because we've already seen that Cordelia knew that he liked Fred, you know, and admittedly Cordelia is extra empathetic, but I feel like that's also kind of like falling on some gendered lines where it's like, Oh, they're just not paying attention. 
You know who's also extra empathetic, who they just treat like a servant oh, who would yes. also be able Lauren, to help with this? Yeah. It's like you have a live-in empath, like, psychic demon? empath yeah. with you, and like he's not even able to be like, hey, maybe you guys should talk yeah, to each other. Yeah, it's true. They really do brush him to the side, and he has done so much for them. They have only caused I was pain in his life. This episode and, and like Angel's basically treating him like, like a his servant. valet. He totally is. He totally is. Yeah. No, I agree. <sighs> yeah. There's a lot of what ifs here. I mean, and I see this on TV all the time, and it drives me nuts because like I can never figure out is it an accurate depiction of real life or is it just a plot device? But like when characters just don't talk to each other. Yeah. I and think you're it's like, both. So much could just be avoided if you yeah. sat down and like checked in totally. every now and then. Totally. <sighs> okay. Well, that's what I've got. Okay. Pretty good episode. And then, so we'll find out about this whole father will kill the son thing. Sure. Okay, so uh, we have As You as Were. You were. Mm-hmm. And I didn't look up the angel, uh, Loyalty. So. I don't know what. Who knows what happens? But the screenshot is a picture of Wesley's uh, handwritten The Father Will Kill the Son, so I assume it, it revolves around that. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I think the Buffy one will be fun next week, or at least interesting. Yeah. Well, do you have uh, any pop culture stuff this week? Um, not so much, although I did mention last time, I think, that I was going to see Avengers. Oh, yeah. Um, I was thinking about that. And Game of Thrones. Yeah. Which, aside from the fact that I don't think Game of Thrones is going to stick to landing, so... It's not. <laughs> it's just all I'm going to say about that. But Avengers was really good. Yeah, good. Um, it was about... Well, you know what? It was good. It was about as good as I think it could have been. Yeah. Like, I think... It was one of those examples where there's, like, too much to wrap up to really be, like... Totally. ...a masterpiece of cinema. But, like, mm-hmm. I think the way that they chose to go out was surprising to me. And also, um, there were moments that made me a little bit infuriated. But mostly, I think it was successful. Okay. That's good. So, yeah. Um, I have two um, comments. <laughs> or two things. <laughs> They're not really recommendations. Uh, <laughs> I mentioned to you, okay, my, our parents were in town last weekend. Our parents met each other for the first time, Man and Alex's. Oh, I didn't realize both your parents were in oh, town. Oh, yeah. That was why they were in town, was to meet each other. Oh, I did. I thought you were just going dress shopping. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, they were in town because they, uh, I believe uh, the quote was, I'm not meeting your parents for the first time at the wedding. <laughs> I'm not introducing myself to your mom at the wedding or something like that. Uh, I think, I think that frequently is usually it wouldn't be the wedding but maybe like the rehearsal exactly dinner. yeah <laughs> and it was nice it was lovely um we, you know but so we tried to like plan a lot of stuff for us to do and one of the things that we did was go see chicago on broadway um and i've you know i don't know chicago's not like my number one choice or anything but i thought it would be like cool see a classic whatever they'd like reasonable price tickets and it was it was you know it was fun um, I did not know that Christy Brinkley was the uh, headliner <laughs> for the performance. She played Roxy Hart. Here's the thing. <laughs> I was like, I saw that when we were walking up to the theater, and I was like, is that really say what I think it says? And then we like got the playbill, and I was like, it definitely says Christy Brinkley. I like reading her bio, and I was like, yep, same Christy Brinkley I was thinking about, like supermodel from the 80s and 90s who's like kind of quite a bit older now and I was like okay you know she's not really an actress she's not really a singer she's not really a dancer so it seemed really questionable to me is where we started and it was incredibly questionable oh she was so <laughs> bad <laughs> it, was, it was awful the rest of the show I thought was pretty good you know it's like if you're interested in Chicago at all the rest of the performers I thought were really good um some of those numbers I've only I had only seen the movie version of Chicago before, so I'm not like I wasn't like so so familiar with it. I thought 
And I was right that I really like Cell Block Tango, but otherwise, you know, otherwise it's like fine. Um, Do you know what I wonder is like Chicago has been running forever, right? So they're not pulling in people because they're like, what is this? I've heard good things. Like it kind of becomes a thing where I feel like the only way to get people into the seats is to have a recognizable name I as just, the lead. I just, but like, it's such a weird, anyone else. At the would same have been. time, like I, how does somebody like Christy Brinkley end up in it where it's like the show has to clearly be comfortable with its like longevity to be yeah. like, yeah, sh- yeah, sure. Like, well, and so then we'll just, who wants to do it? Like, we'll just bring you in for, you know, a three month run. And then yeah. we don't really care how good you are. Like, I just can't imagine being someone in the cast. And, I'm like, sure they were every night and then feeling like, why am I not getting a chance exactly. to do this when I exactly. can do it better? No, I had that thought too, which was that number one, the woman who played Velma, who was like the other kind of lead character. I was like, she must've been so mad to have to like carry this on her shoulders. It's clear. They have to do a couple numbers together. And every time they did, it was like, Oh my God, you are running around in her in circles. Like it was so obvious. Um, but yeah, also I was like literally any theater student in all of New York City would be better than this. So whatever. But what was so interesting is that so then, you know, like during the intermission, we were all like Googling it. We were like, why did they do this? Blah, blah, blah. And it turns out that she did a run, I think, in Vegas and maybe L.A. and maybe London. Like this is a thing that's been going on. So it was like seven years ago or something she did was the lead in somewhere else. So this was like a reprisal. <laughs> Which honestly made it all the worse. So I was like, well, you're not getting any better. I really would have expected. Anyway, I'm sure she's a lovely person. Love her in Parks and Rec. Terrible choice for this. Although, as I said to everyone else, I was like, well, at least it gave us something to talk about over dinner. Because, like, it was, it was, yeah, there was a lot to criticize. <laughs> anyway, uh, so not really a recommendation, just a note and a review on <laughs> Chicago and New York City if you happen to be here. She's done, I think, after this weekend, so maybe hold off on buying tickets for another week <laughs> uh, if you were planning on seeing that. Uh, and then my other not recommendation, because I haven't seen it yet, but we're going to go see Detective Pikachu tonight, and I'm really excited. Oh, God. I think it's going to be so cute. <gasps> You're not excited for it at all? Did you watch the trailer? I was excited when I saw the trailer, but then I read the reviews, oh, which like... I haven't read those. Yeah, well, don't well, tell me. Maybe don't. Um, as long as Pikachu is in there and he says, Pika Pika, I think I may be pretty satisfied. <laughs> That's the main <laughs> thing that I am interested in. I had no intention of like paying money to see that movie anyway, <clears> but <throat> I, yeah, I definitely don't now. But oh, Why would you tell I me that when I haven't seen it? Because I never had intention of paying no, money. No, no, no. So I mean, matter. why would you tell me the reviews were bad when I just told you I haven't seen it? I'm looking forward to it. Because I didn't know if you hadn't read the reviews no. and you were just going to go see it anyway yeah. because it, you're excited about a Pokemon I movie. am excited. I mean, always take reviews with a grain of salt. Mm. They're written by people who are like movie snobs. So would, well, I'm sure we'll it's see. super enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Well, rate a rain on my Pika parade. Pika Pika. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't really know enough about Pokemon to know the appropriate yeah. way to well, incorporate that's what, that into my vocabulary. The Pokemon just say their own names. So Pika, Pikachu just says Pika. I thought he was... He can't say Chew? Yeah, he can say Pikachu. Oh, okay. But he can also just break it down into little parts. Well, it seems like in this movie they can say more than their own names. Uh, just so. Pikachu can. Okay. Yeah. That seems weird. Well, it's the part of the plot that he can talk to one guy. Okay. Oh, okay. Well, I'm so excited to see it. He's a lot cuter than Sonic the Hedgehog, so. Oh my God. At least there's that. Also no interest in seeing that. I don't understand why they made a live action Sonic the Hedgehog. Uh, Agreed. That's. Yeah. uh, James Marsden, or. Marsden. Yes. Yeah. He, 
deserves so much better. It's true. I don't understand how anybody watched Enchanted and that man didn't become an automatic like it's true. movie star. It's, it's true. It's just bizarre to me. But anyway. Um, okay. So right. next time we have As You Were and... Um, loyalty. Loyalty. Thank you. <laughs> and who, whose team are you on this week? Still Team Tara. Yeah. I think that that's, uh, that's probably going to be... A few more weeks of that. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree. She was she the only was one who great. seemed to be doing anything functional. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Team Tara wins at life. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll talk to you next week. Once More with Commentary is produced by me, Allie. And me, Ginny. Our theme music is from the album Rockingham by Nerf Herder. And our podcast logo is by Ryan Cooney. You can email us at scoobies at oncemorewithcommentary.com with any feedback, questions, comments that you have, and find us on Twitter and Instagram at omwcpodcast. You can also find our most recent episodes and any show notes at oncemorewithcommentary.com.